Frontier Missions Journal. Stories of hope for the unreached with Adventist Frontier Missions. Hello, mission friends. Thank you for joining us. Today, we visit a place far up in the northern corner of Cambodia. Hi, my name is Michael Bobianko, and several years ago, I served with Adventist Frontier Missions at the Benong Project as a short-term missionary. Today, I want to tell you the story called The Well, something that happened to me on one calm spring morning at the school. While I was at the Benong Project, I worked as a computer, English, and music teacher, and generally helped with anything at the school that needed help with that I could assist with. So one morning, after I drove my motorcycle to the school, I parked it outside the computer teacher room, opened the door, went inside, and went to go have staff worship. During staff worship, I found out that there was a problem that morning. The water pump was no longer functioning. Now here in the United States, sometimes we take simple things like water for granted. The city supplies our water or, you know, we have a steady supply in some way or another. But in Cambodia, at the school where I worked, unfortunately, if the school water pump breaks, then the cafeteria, the place where they made all our breakfasts and lunches for the students and staff, uh, would no longer function because there was no water. That could be very problematic for very obvious reasons. So uh, the principal of the school at the time, as well as one of my friends, were going to work on the well and the pump that morning. So I went and I taught my first English class to my young students. And then I went and taught my second English class to my older students. And after that, I had a short little break. One of the things I liked to do when I had a short break was go outside and get some fresh air and sunshine. So I decided to take a walk around the edge of the school and just uh, get a nice breath of fresh air. As I was doing so, I came upon the well with the broken pump. At this point in the morning, it, uh, several hours had passed since staff worship, and uh, unfortunately they had been unable to even pull out the water pump from the well in order to take it to the shop to get it fixed. And the school lunch hour was nearing closer and closer and closer. So there were two strong guys attempting to pull up the pump using some pipes and a cord that it was attached to, and I decided to add one weakling to the two strong guys and try and help them out. The three of us surrounded the, the well. We kind of braced our feet, uh, planted them there. And then on the count of three, one, two, two three. three, we started to pull. It didn't budge. So we tried again. Oh, it budged just, just barely, just barely. And thus the adventure of pulling up the water pump began for me that the others had already been attempting for several hours. So little bit by little bit, the three of us would brace, one, two, three, and pull as much as we could and it would maybe budge just a little bit. And we began talking amongst ourselves, what on earth is holding up the pump? Why is it so difficult to pull out? The sun continued to beat down on our heads and we were sweating up a storm. And probably after about another 45 minutes to an hour of just bracing ourselves and pulling up, finally we got the pump Yay! out of the well. And as the pump came up out of the well, we noticed the problem. A single stone had gotten lodged in between the pump 
and the wall of the pipe where the pump would go down into the well. A single stone had gotten lodged in between those two items and was preventing the pump from being pulled up. So the principal of the school quickly drove off with the pump to the pump repair store, got the pump fixed, and they managed to get water working and functional again in time for lunch. But as I began thinking about that rock, that single stone, I think about how sometimes in life we think about, oh, it's just, it's just one sin. It's just one little problem. It's, it's not a big deal. It's just one thing. But here we had a single stone that caused problems not just for the pump, but for everybody who used that pump, everyone who associated with the school that morning was having an issue because of a single stone. And so sometimes in life, we, we like to think about, you know, our, our, our sins or our white, you know, what we would call white lies, you know, things that we kind of joke about. And really, it's, it's still a sin. It is still something that we need to turn away from and turn to Christ and ask for forgiveness for and repent of. And one sin can not only affect us and our own personal lives, but it can affect the lives of others and all of those around us. And so I want to encourage you today, if there is some sin in your life that you are aware of, well, Jesus can help you overcome that sin. It might just be one thing. It might just be a single rock in your life right now. But Jesus can forgive you. He will forgive you. And he will help you fix that area of your life so you can be more and more like Jesus and be a better witness for him each and every day. Oh, and I almost forgot. The story has a happy ending. When the principal took the pump to the repair store, the person who ran that store hadn't heard of the Christian school before, and he decided to send his two kids to come learn at our school. Because of a broken pump at the school, two more young kids got to hear about Jesus by coming to our school and learning English and learning other subjects as well. Sometimes life throws us unexpected curveballs like the broken pump at the school. Well, I was thrown another curveball right at the very end of my service term, right as I was going through the airport on my way out of the country. I call this story the final test. It was early on the morning of August 12th. My flight was headed out later that day, and I was still in Mondulkiri province and needed to get to the capital city of Cambodia, Phnom Penh. Daniel Greenfield and his son, Andrew, were willing to drive me to the capital city, which was very kind of them and made my life a whole lot easier. And so we got up really early in the morning around 5.30 a.m. We got in his truck, we loaded everything up, and we drove away to Phnom Penh. This trip normally takes, oh, about five and a half to six hours. If you take it on public transportation, sometimes it can take as little as five hours if you have a crazy taxi driver and someone who uses his horn a lot more than the average American driver would, for example. While we were driving, Daniel Greenfield told me about earlier times with the Banong Project when it used to take two to three days of travel to get from Mondokiri province to Phnom Penh. But this time, I was very grateful it would only take several hours. So my flight didn't leave that night until after 11 p.m. So the plan was I was going to go shopping at uh, several markets and pick up some souvenirs, uh, have some supper, and then finally go to the airport and uh, say my goodbyes and, and get through customs, you know, all the things that you do when you are preparing to leave on a flight. So the Greenfields go, went off and went on some shopping on their own, and I headed off in a tuk-tuk to the Russian market. 
which we could also call the tourist market of souvenirs and expensive things unless you happen to have bargaining skills. I was actually successful in, in spending some of my last remnants of money and uh, getting some souvenirs that I wanted. I got some Kamai style shirts, I got uh, some other items from some other support members, I got a t-shirt, some old coins, uh, and a few other things. At the Russian market, people generally speak English, at least to some degree, so I had a good time being friendly with people and bargaining just ever so slightly. And, uh, well, let me put it this way. They said I got a discount, but I don't really know if I did or not. After some other events, I went to what is arguably the biggest market in the entire city. Or to say market. Otherwise called the market where no one speaks English and you get lost easily because it's humongous. Now, I had gone to this market way back at the beginning of my time in Cambodia on a scavenger hunt that the Greenfields had sent me on. But because no one had spoken English at the time, and I didn't speak the local language at all, uh, I had a really difficult time. However, this second time that I visited the market at the end of my service term, I actually spoke some of the local language. And so I was excited to be able to ask the market sellers how much something was or where something was and actually understand the responses. And so I had a great time going around the market and exploring uh, the different things I could buy and purchasing a few things and few final souvenirs. But the final test was still coming. So after a while I went to have supper, we had some delicious Indian food, we uh, hung out for a few hours, and then Daniel took me to the airport and drove off. And well, that was the last time I saw Daniel Greenfield and Andrew in the country. Many of you have probably been through airport security and things before, and it's very similar in Cambodia as it is here in the United States. You go and you check in for your flight, and that went fine. And I went to outbound immigration, you know, you go through customs, and that went fine. And like most other airports, after you check in, you have to go through security. Shoes off, laptops in the bin, scan everything you own, empty your pockets, take off your belt, you know, all that sort of thing. So I started emptying out my very full pockets, item by item. Here's my phone, here's my wallet, here's my pen, here's my boarding passes, here are the keys to the school in the Timmins house. <gasps> The keys to the school and to Timmins' house? Oh no! I was standing in the middle of the security line with people in front and behind me, and I completely froze. I still had the school's keys and the keys to the Timmins' house. This was a big problem. So not knowing what else to do, I grabbed what remained of my belongings that already hadn't been stolen away on the conveyor belt, grabbed a bin of to stuff them in and waddled backwards through security. I say waddled because uh, my belt is usually helpful in helping hold up my pants, so you know, you kind of waddle out and, and hope that everything remains as you uh, carry all your stuff. So somehow, I had to get the keys to Daniel, and it was already pretty late at night. I was worried he would already be in bed. I'd already gone through immigration, so I, I couldn't just leave the airport at this point. That, you know, that wouldn't look very good. So I spotted a security officer standing off to the side, and I walked up to him and started speaking to him in, well, pretty broken Khmer. Somehow, I got the point across that, uh, keys? And I, you know, I pointed at them in my hand and I said, Robakru! Robakru! These are for my teacher, my teacher! I, I didn't know what else to call Daniel Greenfield other than my teacher since I didn't know how to say missionary in the local language or, you know, my supervisor. On top of being tired, and trying to think of things in another language, I was just really struggling trying to get the idea across that I needed to get these keys to someone else. Finally, the security agent took me off to a side security checkpoint and multiple people started talking to me at that point. I initially tried talking and again explaining that, you know, 
keys, robot crew, robot crew. Oh, of course, I have a cell phone. I can just call Daniel Greenfield. So I called him up. He, of course, spoke my fluently and could explain the situation. Thankfully, he was still awake. And even more thankfully, my phone still had minutes and data. After a few minutes of him speaking to the security people, he told me to get the initial person that I talked to, his contact information, and Daniel would come to the airport and get the keys. So I, I apologized profusely and, you know, made some jokes about him needing some event to remember me and other student missionaries by. It definitely wasn't what I was planning. So after I got the man's contact information and took a photo of him uh, so that Daniel would know what he looked like, I left the keys to the Timmons house and the school with the man and went through security. If you don't know what it's like to leave your keys and personal belongings with someone in an airport right before you leave the country, knowing that they need to get to someone else and not knowing if they would, it's a pretty nerve-wracking experience. Once I was through security, I sat down and I prayed hard that Daniel would be able to get the keys back, that he'd make it back to the airport in time before the security guy left, and uh, that everything would work out for my flight to leave on time. So thankfully, about 45 to 60 minutes later, I got a text from Daniel that he had recovered the keys. What I didn't know until much later was that when Daniel came back to the airport, the initial security agent had left and he had to track down the keys from all the other people who were still around. But thankfully, God had still supplied everything that I needed, even when I was on my way out of the country. So it was a pretty frantic final test. I had to think in Kamai. I had to think about the local customs of, of you know, uh, being polite and, and also going through airport security. And I just like to call that and think of that as my final test in Cambodia. I was so thankful that God had taken care of me and the keys during my final test. Phew, what a relief that everything worked out in the end. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And may you even be inspired to become a missionary yourself, whether it's long-term or as a student missionary. Or if you just want to know how you can help the missionaries, then please visit our website at www.afmonline.org for more information. Thank you for listening to Frontier Missions Journal. God bless.